0: Two weeks ago, uh, for those of you who weren't here, two weeks ago we were working through Ephesians chapter 2, talking about grace, about being saved from our old life, an old life of sin to a new life, a new life in Christ. And I was wondering if maybe some of you were asking, you know, so Jason, what is this new life? How does it, what does it look like, this new life? Or maybe even a better question, how do we practice this new life? Jesus used these words uh, in our text this morning. We're going to be looking at John 15 in a minute, but he used these words of abiding. Or in the NIV it says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. And we're talking some about the next, over the next two uh, Sundays, this Sunday and next, about what it means to abide or to live in Jesus and how that works in us to produce fruit. How does our abiding, how do we abide into abundance? Producing fruit. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. This is one of my favorite things about following Jesus. I'm a, I'm a pietist at heart. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know what a pietist is, a pietist is someone who believes in a personal relationship with Jesus, that we are after more than just proper theology or biblical knowledge. Those things are great and have their place, but we are after a personal relationship, a close and living relationship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I think that's one of the reasons why I fit in an evangelical covenant church so well. The covenant church has deep roots into the pietist tradition, which began in earnest in the 1500s, I believe. Is that right, Melody? 1500s pietism? Okay. Um, anyways, um, so pietists uh, believe in this, this faith, this close relationship with God. And it breaks my heart when I see, or, when I see people talking about or equating following the rules to Christianity. I know a lot of people who say you know, Christianity or they think that Christianity is just about following rules. There's lots of rules and you just follow them and you're a Christian. I even know pastors and, and priests, fathers who teach this way and that God is not so much your happy father or your loving father but more your, your discerning judge who's sorting through your life to see if you make it or not. There's a lot of people who see Christianity, who see God this way. Melody, you were talking about it with Julian of Norwich, that the people's assumption was that God was angry with them. And it was through her vision, through her comment, that she realized Jesus spoke the truth to her about his deep love for people. I have a friend of mine. He grew up Catholic. um, And we've had numerous conversations about faith. And um, he always had this, this idea of Christianity that it was more like a moral code that you live by. And, you know, he would be the first to say, you know, I fail all the time, but I think it's a good code, I just can't do it very well. And, and I could remember the times when I would talk with him about, about a relationship with Jesus and I just felt like we were talking like this. I'd talk about my relationship with Christ and my Father who loves me and this, this Lord Jesus, this, who's not just a, a Lord or a Savior, but also he calls us friend, and I can just remember our conversations, and I can just see that he just did not get it. For him, Christianity, and he probably wouldn't even say Christianity, he would say being a Catholic means that I follow the rules, that there's rules that we follow, and if we don't follow them, then we go to confession, and we try harder next time. My friend's not really much of a Christian anymore, not even much of a Catholic. He's all sorts of questions, doubt about God, whether he really even exists which I can totally understand if you see Christianity this way as a bunch of rules to keep and an angry judge waiting for us to mess up. I don't want this for you. (laughs) I want you to see how deeply God loves us. I want you to see that God has done everything that he possibly can to make us right with him. Many of us know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Think about that for a second. You know, that's kind of like the theological portion of it. But also there's this reality that goes with it, that God is our good father. Which I say that carefully because some of you have had great fathers. And you know, and you think, oh, I can already imagine what a great father is like. Some of you have not had great fathers. Um, my dad, I barely knew him. He left when I was one. And so good father maybe is a bit harder, a bit more difficult to imagine, a bit more difficult to understand. So that's why I put the word good in front of it. God is our good father who loves us. And a good father wants more than just dutiful servants. He wants us in a good and growing relationship with him. God wants more than just somebody who follows the rule for him. He wants a relationship with each one of us. He already knows us intimately better than we know ourselves. And he wants us to be close to him. Jesus talks about it. We're going to look at the text here in a minute. Jesus talks about abiding or making our home in him. That's what he calls us to. The thing is, I realize we all approach this relationship with Jesus in different ways. Some of us come with this idea of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and some of you get it, and, and you're already practicing that. Some of you already have practices in your life, whether it's prayer or morning devotion, where you get up and you sit and you delight in the Lord Jesus, and you're spending time with him. I want to encourage you, bless you, continue doing that. Maybe as you hear this morning, as you hear Jesus Speaking to us as we reflect on it this morning, maybe it will encourage you to maybe expand that time or to grow even more. But I also realize that some of you come here, you're here this morning, and the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus you've experienced before, but you have lost it since. I can totally relate to that. And as I start talking about it, on the one hand, this is really encouraging because you're like, yeah, I remember what that was like, it was amazing and at the same time a bit sad because you're thinking now, man, it's been a long time since I've felt that way. It's been a long time since I've I've felt this close to the Lord, this close to Jesus. You know, it's, I can put words to that feeling, just that, that smile that you have, that grin on your face, that joy that you have, like you just figured out the secret to life. You know, things happen, even difficult things happen, and they just, they still don't seem to bring you down. That joy you have when you realize that when you're in this relationship, this close proximity, this close relationship with Jesus. But then life comes, the busyness of life, all the distractions, all the stuff that we've got going. And our time with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus gets shorter and shorter and smaller and smaller. A hundred different things come in. And we find that we hardly have any time at all, we hardly make any time at all to spend time with Jesus. And we start to lose that connection. I pray that this morning that you would hear these words again, that they would encourage you, and in a sense, they would call you back. You too would redevote time to getting close to Jesus this week. Some of you are here this morning and you're still new to faith. Still new, still learning about Jesus. And this idea of a personal relationship with God seems kind of surprising and even confusing. You know, how do we do this? How do we have a relationship with a God that we can't see, that we can't easily talk to? I want you to hear that God wants more than a dutiful servant. He wants a beloved child, a child that's in a relationship with him. There's one last group too that you might might fit in this group here this morning where you've been following Jesus for a long time or trying your best and this whole personal relationship thing just never really worked out for you. You hear people talk about it, you see people who live it and yet despite your best, uh, best attempts, you've never really experienced it. Maybe you still believe like you're still convinced that Jesus really died and that he rose again but that personal relationship piece just seems remote, like kind of something that somebody else talks about. I want to say that I'm rooting for you this morning. (laughs) You're the one that I'm rooting for this morning, that you would hear these words of Jesus, and as we talk about it this morning, and the light would switch for you. That This morning would be the moment that your life changes and you realize that Jesus wants a real relationship with you. He's not just after giving you a bunch of rules to follow and hope you make it. He actually is the Lord and Savior. A good God who wants to be deeply involved moment by moment in each of our lives. We all come with different ideas about, about this relationship with Jesus. But I think at a deep level, we all want this connection with him. We want this relationship. And many of us, you know, just ask, you know, Jason, how do I do it? It sounds good. I see it in other people's lives. How do I do it? How do I get there? Or better yet, how do I get to that place? Or how do I have that relationship and keep it from sliding back into just duty? Right? Like we kind of get to that place where we feel like, Lord, I'm connected with you. I'm praying and I sense your presence. I hear you speaking to me or guiding me or leading me. And then I get busy or I do stuff and I just feel like I just slip back into, I'm just doing this because I know I'm supposed to. How do we get to this relationship? How do we stay there? Well, Jesus knew that we would ask this question. Jesus knew that this would be uh, a difficult thing for many of us. That's why he teaches on it. He teaches specifically on this. And he says these words. So if you want to open up your Bibles to John 15. It's also in your bulletin here if you want to open that. But to John chapter 15, verse 1. So this is Jesus speaking on the night that he is betrayed. Uh, this is the part of John's gospel called the Upper Room uh, Discourse or Upper Room Teaching. It's a great, like four chapters, just Jesus teaching his disciples. And so he says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me, and I in them, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, They are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray that we'd hear this word this morning. Father in heaven, I give you thanks for your word. I give you thanks for your Son. Lord Jesus, help us to hear your words again. I pray, Lord God, that you again would draw us deeper into a relationship with you today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, we're talking about this new life in Jesus, this flourishing in our faith. Not just getting by, not just doing our best to keep the rules, but actually flourishing in this relationship with God. And I was thinking again a couple weeks ago we were talking or I was talking about uh, Kelvin and Nicole, Opio missionaries that we support in Kenya. And they were talking about how there many people actually choose Islam over Christianity because it's a bit more cut and dried in their eyes. Uh, There's just just times of day when you pray, there's certain things you eat, certain things you don't eat, certain days you observe. And you're a Muslim. That's all it takes. You check those boxes and you're done. Whereas Christianity was a whole way of life. Which was larger and more complicated, and not only that, but the idea of God, uh, a relationship with God, uh, in many or many religions, uh, God is not someone you relate to; it's just someone you obey. So, in many religions, uh, relationship with God is impossible because they are God and we are human. So, why try? Some of them, it's even unnecessary. You know, if, if God or God is a judge then you, know, you don't have to be friends with a judge. You just obey the laws. You just do what's right. Well, it's not so for those of us who follow Jesus. That's not the way we look at God. We look at God way more than that. We look at God not only as a righteous judge, but also, and maybe even more importantly, as a good father. That God desires a relationship with us. Now, that's not to say that our actions don't matter. The way we live absolutely matters. God has given us commandments. He's given us rules to live by. That's true, and it's good for us to live that way. It's good for us. It's good for our relationship with God. It's good for this world, for us to be faithful and to obey the Lord. But he also desires more than rule-keeping. He desires a relationship with us. God is looking for more than just us to keep the rules. The foundation for us, the foundation of our faith, is not our ability to to practice rituals. It's not our ability to keep rules. It's a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our faith. And if that's new to you, maybe you grew up Catholic or maybe you didn't grow up with any sort of church background at all or any teaching about Christianity, I want you to hear that this morning. The foundation of our faith is a relationship with Jesus the rituals, the things we do, the the obedience, all of that comes out of the relationship. If we're just going to try and rely on our own ability to keep the law, we're sunk before we start. The foundation of our faith is a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. So in verse 4, Jesus commands uh, his disciples, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Now, The word that I'm going to point out here is right by the first word is remain. Uh, In Greek, it's the word is meno. You don't need to worry about that. But it's interesting to me how different translations have tried to get at this word meno or to remain. The NIV, it's it's the word they used, they they chose the word remain. The group that was translating the NIV chose the word remain. And I think what they're trying to get at, my hunch is, what they're trying to get at is the fact that we have been saved by grace. And this is not how we earn our way, but that we stay in grace. Do you see the difference? Not that we are on the outside constantly trying to get back in, but that God by grace has brought us in and we just have to stay. Very different, but very important. So the NIV goes with remain. But it's actually, I think, for what they gain with the idea that we are saved by grace and that we just stay in God's grace, I think they lose some of the the other um, aspects of menno which means to live. So actually, the NASB, the North American Standard Bible, they actually translate it, I would say, more literally. They say, abide in me, <clears throat> and I in you. The word abide here, um, it's an older English word. How many of you have used abide in the last week? Anybody? <laughs> Maybe if you're quoting John 15. Uh, abide is an older English word meaning to live, to dwell. It's where we get the word, it's the root abode. You know, welcome to my abode, my home. Jesus is saying here, abide in me. Literally, like, make your home in me. Dwell in me. Live here in this relationship. Don't just visit. Live here. This is your home. And this abide here, it's, it's. Um, I hope I don't get too much in the weeds here, but but abide. In, in Greek, you have... Uh, present tense, past tense, future, like we do. You know, it happened before, or sorry, it happened before, it happened now, it happened after. Um, And so this is a present tense, so it's currently happening, and it's present progressive, which means it's continuing to happen. So if I could add a little bit of English to this to help us get at it, it's saying, keep abiding in me, to show it's a present thing happening and that we keep doing it. You see where I'm at with that? Okay. So Jesus says, abide in me. And, he can, and it's, it's not just a suggestion. This is actually a command. This is the command that he gives his disciples. So abiding in him, living in him, uh, living in this relationship with Jesus, it's not like extra credit if you, you know, feeling extra spiritual one week. This is the basics. This is the foundation. This is a command. Literally, abide in Jesus. This is not, you know, do it when you feel like it. You know, do it if you've got some extra time this week. It is do it. Dwell in Jesus. Make your home in him. It's pretty powerful stuff. But it's kind of a funny way of saying it, right? Make your home in me. Dwell in me. I mean, that's, uh, we don't usually say that. Uh, I've never said that to anyone. Dwell in me. Um, but I was thinking about it in terms of, like, where do we live? You know, right now we—I mean, right now—we all live in Balfour here or in the Kootenays, and life here comes with certain blessings. I mean, you just open your window and look out the window in the morning, and you see this amazing place we live, this beautiful place we live. It's lush, it's green. Just rained last night. Smells wonderful. The air is clean. If anybody here has ever been to like India or Southeast Asia, and you—you you can barely see across the street because it's brown with smog you appreciate like, how clean and beautiful it is here. I was thinking about how different it is that we live here in Balfour, or we live in the Kootenays, how different that is, say if we were to live, say, in like, Kenya, in Congo, where Kelvin and Nicole are serving as missionaries. Life is very different there. There's blessings and difficulties with each place. So there's true, there's blessings that come with dwelling in Balfour, but also the place we live shapes the way we live. Because we live here, we live differently than we would even if we, the same people, lived in Congoa, in Kenya. We would live differently there. We would even begin to think differently there. I want to give you just a sense of this. So I was looking uh, on the Facebook, on Nicole's Facebook page, and she has this video. Of, she said, "Just for those of you who want to see what Conguea is like, so here's a just a quick video of." Them walking the streets. Kids this is Kelvin now. and Nicole, Jesse and Marie uh, when they, when they visited, yeah. and, yeah. Um, right. and, oh. and oh. Troy. And Danielle. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. All yeah. they're all there. Yeah. And that's so these like are the streets so of Congoia. You know, like, right. right. A little bit different than Balfour, right? So lots like the beds being made. And uh-huh. These are okay. all beds. Yeah. So right now Troy is asking uh, Kelvin about the beds. Like they're making what all these beds. Work, Calvin, you know? uh, this one is. Uh, this is pine. Kelvin, just said that one's made out of pine. Jeremy was wondering was if this is the area he used to live in. The area, yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, this really yeah, why why I'm this even walking. Oh right. And, uh, in other areas watch out, guys. Walk like this, man. Watch out, watch out. Yeah. So because we're with you, we're okay? Oh, you're very safe. Yeah. Get, in. Get in. Oh. Yeah, so Kelvin's, uh, this is Calvin's old house, like i was saying, Maduma, and he's uh, invited uh, and still, so we're gonna go in and take a look. This one was uh, our okay. siblings' So this was your parents' bedroom, you said? Yeah, this is behind the curtains. mom's bedroom. Mom's bedroom. Okay. my room. By the time we came here, we I were left. We was uh, four boys, and uh girls. Oh, mm-hmm. and you have more that were older? Yeah, yeah I had two that had left uh, we, so were we were not born here. Right. Wow, so tens ago. Mm-hmm. Our life, actually our life, our life began... Our life began in young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then my dad died and we lost the from, uh, And this was one of our properties. Mm. So my mom moved. And she had no job. So from over east to to Wow. How old are you? When we, came, when we came here. We actually moved to one other house before we came here, and that was in 1950s. Oh, I never even knew. it. Yeah. So, I'm glad I'm getting it now. Huh? Take the tuk-tuk. Yeah. Let's cross them. Get some food. You get just an idea, just like a few minutes to see what it's like in Conguea, in Kenya, versus how different it is here in Balfour. It's similar when we begin living in Jesus. Not only do blessings come with that, blessings of eternal life, of hope, of reconciliation, being reconciled with our Father in heaven, grace, forgiveness, a new way of living now, not only do blessings come with that, but it also changes the way we think, the way that we live, the way that we treat others. I was having this conversation with my sons actually this week. We we're talking about a family reunion that we have each year down in Idaho. And Tracy and I were talking with our boys about, you know, we're going to have to leave on Saturday because uh, Tracy has some, uh, her high school reunion that she's going to go to. Um, but also um, just, just to leave at that time. And the boys were asking, oh, why can't we stay? And I was like, well you know, on Saturday night, that's actually when some of my family, like, that's when they start drinking more, and, you know, it gets a little bit crazy, and I kind of don't really want to be a part of that. And they said, really? Like, what do you mean, Dad? And I said, well, you know, like, I, because, because we follow Jesus, you know, we, it's okay for us to have a beer or a glass of wine, but drunkenness is not good for us. And then, you know, of course, you know, my son is seven years old, my, you know, Corbin is 10. They're like, well, like, why not? What's, I mean, not like, why can't we? But like, what do you mean it's not good for us? What happens, Dad? Like, is it, what you know, what's going on? And so I started talking with them about, I mean, I've got a little bit of experience with drunkenness, unfortunately, uh, when I was younger. But I was trying to explain to my sons that when we follow Jesus, when he calls us, he, he commands us not to do that. And not just because God hates, you know, people having a good time, but because he knows what happens when we drink too much. And so I can speak from my own personal experience, talk with my sons about, you know, the things that that people say when they're drunk, that they regret, sometimes stupid things, sometimes really hurtful things, the things that people do that hurt others or hurt themselves. And so I'm explaining to my sons about this new way of living because of Jesus, because we dwell in him, we live differently. We see the world differently. And so... As we start talking about this new life, about following Jesus, when Jesus says, come, make your home in me, he's saying, come and essentially live in this new kingdom. I mean, it still looks physically like the, like the kootenies around us, but we live in a new kingdom with a new way of doing things, a new way of living that shapes the way we think and the way we act. It's a new life. See, I think that's the thing. That a lot of people think of Christianity like, a group, like just a big list of rules. Most of them are like they suck the fun out of life. You know, you can't get in trouble, you can't do, you can't drink enough, you can't party, you can't sleep with whoever you want to, whenever you want to. A lot of people think that Christianity is a religion of sin management. You know, basically you profess some beliefs in Jesus and then you just try and live the rest of your life being boring, <laughs> Like some some people view our faith. And it's true. God does give us commands. He does say, avoid this. Don't do that. One, because it's bad for us. It's unhealthy for us. It's unhealthy for people around us. And because it's not holy. God wants us to be holy because he is holy. And that's a whole other sermon. If you want to know more what I mean by that, you can ask me. But God wants us in a relationship with him. He wants us to experience this new life and be close to him. To make our home in Him. The surprising part of this, and part that maybe you haven't realized yet, hopefully most of you have, is that Jesus is already in us. The moment we begin believing, the Holy Spirit enters us. Now we're going to go back to the NIV here just for a second. And it says, you know, like we were talking about, remain in me and I will remain in you. There's just, there's just one thing, like in terms of English and grammar. This makes a ton of sense. It's really clear. There's just one thing about it that have like one little hang up is that remain in me and I will remain in you. I don't know if you read it the same way I do, but it almost sounds like there's a bit of a conditional there. Almost like I have this tendency for myself to put a little if in the front. If you remain in me, then then I will remain in you. It's not what it says, but I can't help but read it that way when it says, if we remain in Jesus and sometime in the future he will remain in us. Like I said, this is present tense, it's already happening. In the NASB, it says, it's translated actually quite literally, it says, abide in me and I in you. Now, in terms of English grammar, that's kind of like, what? (laughs) It's not very good English, but I think it's closer to what? I mean, it is actually more literal to the Greek that's in the text. And I think it helps us fill in the blanks because abide is definitely the verb for both us and for Jesus, the living in. But as I read this, I realize when you read it in this sense that Jesus is already abiding in us. It's not that he will do it someday if we abide in him, but he's already living in us. So this is Jason's translation. This is not official, but if they were to ask me, Jason, how would you say this? It's, it's a mouthful But it gets at what I think Jesus is saying here. Keep making your home in me. And oh, by the way, I continue already still to make my home in you. Jesus has done this by grace. Jesus is already dwelling in us by grace, by God's free gift to us. Nothing that we've earned, nothing that we have to earn, but by God's grace through faith faith that Jesus really did come. He really did live this life to show us what true life was supposed to look like and to live sinlessly so that he would be a sinless sacrifice. That he would come and take our place. That he who knew no sin would take our sin upon him. That he would become sin so that we who were sinful might become righteous. And he died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to our Father in heaven that everything that we've done or will do is handled on the cross. He's taken our place. And if that weren't enough, if that, just, if that was all he did, as amazing as that would be, that would be enough. But then God rose him from the grave on the third day, showing us that all of it is true. And not only that, but because we've been made right with God, we have eternity with him. Death is no longer the end for us. We live forever with Jesus, and that gives us hope and changes the way that we live. We have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I think that's how he can say, you are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. We are clean because God has done this, because Jesus Jesus has done this. To make this point, Jesus starts talking about us in terms of, of vines and branches, I found this uh, diagram on the internet. Uh, this is just a diagram. And it looks like an older one of a grapevine. So you have the grapevine here. I've never grown grapes. Those of you who you might have to correct me, but so the grapevine grows here, and they train the vi- the branches up so you can easier to pick the fruit. But this is the vine, and then these the vertical parts are the branches. Jesus, I think. I mean, it's there's maybe more that he's making here, but the the basic point is. The branches don't grow anything unless they're connected to the vine. There will be no grapes, no nothing. They will dry up and wither and fall to the ground if there was no vine beneath them. The vine, at first, I mean, obviously, structurally, it's support. I mean, it supports the branches. That's what they hang from if they aren't to be trained up. The vines support, but not only that, the vines provide all the nutrients from the ground, the water, the minerals from the soil. The branches are completely dependent on the vine. Without the vine, the branches wither up and fall to the ground and die. Not only that, but they fail to produce any fruit in the meantime. Jesus used this example of a vine to show us that in him, we're supposed to be uh, intimately connected with him, constantly relating to him, totally dependent on Jesus. Our whole life is supposed to be that way. And I know... That runs completely counter to much of our uh, macho Western world, where we say, "I don't need anybody; I don't depend on anyone but myself." It's just not the Christian way. We depend on Jesus. We are meant to be, and actually, we are our healthiest and our most faithful when we depend on Him. So Jesus is saying, uh, "Make me your home." And I know we kind of we've really drilled into this idea of meno, of abiding, or make your home in Jesus. And some of you might be asking, okay, but how do I do this? Jason, I understand, I get it, I can read it. Jesus says, abide in me, make your home in me. Okay, but practically, how do I do this? How do I make my home in Jesus? How do I practice this? Well, thankfully, it's really simple. It's actually so basic, it might even fool you a bit. Sometimes it's like the easiest things are like the hardest ones for us to accept, right? We make our home in Jesus by... You ready for it? Spending time with Jesus. I know, right? Basic. We make our home in Jesus by spending time with Jesus. Now, Christians throughout the centuries, they have found all sorts of creative ways to spend time with Jesus. Melody was talking about Julian of Norwich. Her way of connecting with Jesus was by building a small 10 by 10, 10 by 10, right, Melody? Home off the side of the church. I was thinking about, I don't know how I would ever do that. <laughs> that is an amazing uh, devotion to God, an uh, amazing way to do it. But there have been Christians who have found all other sorts of ways, like through solitude, through fasting, through studying God's word, through worship like we do every Sunday morning here. All these different ways of moving closer to Jesus, of spending time with him. But I wanted to talk just about three, three ways that are... That are um, more intuitive or find that most people here, most people in, in Western Canada, kind of are easier for us to get. They they make more sense to us. <clears throat> the first one is prayer. Basic, right? Prayer. And I would just encourage you, like I mean, uh, any way that you pray, pray. Bless you. But I'd also encourage you maybe to think beyond like our normal Western idea of prayer. Normally, like most of us pray, or if it's anything like me, it's like, Dear Lord, let me go through the list of stuff I want and need, or the list of people who want and need. Okay, like that's that's fine. God wants to hear us, and I think that's better than nothing. But you can imagine what it would be like to spend time with someone if all they were doing was talking with you about what they needed and how they want you to supply it. Um, I would just I would suggest to you like there maybe we expand our the ways that we talk with God, the ways we spend time with him. You can pray scripture, pray the word of God, pray psalms back to God. We can pray through a journal. I mean, just another practice that I do, and if you want to catch these, you can listen to the sermon again, but like, just like, Lord, I'm working on this thing. Will you please guide me? In it? And then I wait, and God works and guides me in what I should be doing. Or like we often pray here in terms like of a, of a guide, um, like three words, for example. Uh, sorry, thanks, and please. And we pray sorry, pray confession, take some time in confession. Or praying thanks, and we take time giving thanks to God for what he's done. And then we get into the part of please, like Lord, please help with these situations, or please help this person. There's all these different ways to connect with Jesus. Essentially, just spend time with Jesus. The next is devotional reading. And, you know, this is slightly different. You know, this is, something where you read scripture slowly and you savor each bit of it. Great places to read devotionally are the Psalms. I mean, those are devotional reading. Um, The Gospels are another great place to read slowly and watch how Jesus interacts, the words he says to people, the way people respond to him. You know, like Numbers and Leviticus, I mean, Leviticus, like those are great books. I mean, they're scripture, they're inspired by the word of God. Not as great for devotional reading, at least most of it. So it depends on where you read. I mean, there's this great saying that all scripture is God-breathed, but not all of it is equally relevant to our lives in this moment. So pick a passage or pick parts of the Bible that that speak to you or that you're able to read devotionally. A great place to begin are Psalms and the Gospels. All right, the last one is, is serving, and I love this one. The prayer and the devotion are more private things we can do. They're easier for us to do often. The serving part, I love this because it accomplishes two things at the very same time, or at least it can if we do it, uh, if we do it well. So first of all, like we can do this. We can be um, serving someone. We can begin producing fruit. Like blessing someone produces kingdom fruit. But if you serve someone while you're praying, you can also at the same time be growing closer to Jesus. Or Jesus can be shaping us while we serve someone. So, like, say you're helping a friend uh, do some work around their house. You can go there, and you can go even begrudgingly, like, oh, I hate this, but I'm doing this because I'm a Christian. And sure, you might help them, and they might feel blessed, and maybe you're able to hide it, that you have a crappy attitude about it. Um, you know, and still fruit will come. But if you go there and say, while you're raking or while you're stacking wood, you're praying for the person you're serving. Lord, I pray for this person. Lord, please work in their life. Please, I mentioned this thing that they're struggling with. Please work in them. Or praying, Lord, please work in me. Lord, work humility in me while I stack this lumber for them for the fifth time. Lord, work compassion in me while they talk about something that is bothering them that I could help them fix in five seconds if they would just listen to me. Help me to love them, God, even when they are different than me in some ways hard to love. The Holy Spirit will work in us while we're serving. It's a great way to not only produce fruit for the kingdom, but also to grow ourselves. So it's this double dip. You get to accomplish both things at the same time. So these three things, all right? Pray, read devotionally, and find someone to serve. So this week... If you look on the back of your bulletins, this is what this is our homework for this week because, you know, practicing, like, biding in Jesus is not just an idea. It's something that, we, that I want us to do. I don't want us to just, like, take this as food for thought. I want us to be, our lives to be transformed. So on the back of your bulletin, this is the bottom section right here, just up on the screen. All right? So this is just a starting place. Some of you have your own devotion practices, and they're working great for you, and you, have, you feel close to Jesus. Awesome. Continue with that, or if you want to try this out, go ahead. That will be great, too. Um, but this is just a guide, especially if you are new to faith, or you're wondering, how do I do this, or where do I begin? This is just a suggestion for you, okay? So here's how it works. So it begins with the Pray. So this is a 14-minute. Actually, let me go up one. This is just take 14 minutes each day and practice making your home in Jesus. Okay, 14 minutes a day. Like that's not even one whole show, okay? I have faith in you and me and me that we can take 14 minutes a day and do this. You can even break it up if you absolutely cannot stand to sit for 14 minutes. You need to do like eight minutes and six minutes. You can do that. Okay, so here's how it works. You pray. So this is just our sorry, thanks, please kind of guide to prayer. Take two minutes and just settle. This is the moment where you're like, Lord, I'm worried about this. I'm upset about that. I know i got to do this. Just get a piece of paper and a pencil. If you need to, write it down. Just like promise yourself, I will take care of this when I'm done. Okay, that way you're not constantly thinking about it. Or if you're just able to, just like, Lord, help me set down all the stuff I'm worried about. So take two minutes and you just settle. Then you take two minutes and you pray, Lord, I'm sorry. Here's the stuff that I already know that I'm sorry for. And if you're like if you're super spiritual and you've only got like one or two things, then you pray, Lord, search my heart. Is there something I'm missing? Is there something I haven't seen? Is there something that I'm unwilling to see. Take another two minutes, Lord, I'm sorry. Next one is saying two minutes to say thanks. And see you run. Uh, the next is um, saying thanks. Just take two minutes. Ooh, a little too cold? Yeah. Oh, okay, thanks. Um, so saying thanks, just taking two minutes. Lord, I am grateful for grace. Like that's a great place to begin. I'm grateful that you have forgiven me. And then you can just keep going. Lord, I'm grateful for everything, just to be grateful. Grateful for the air we breathe. Okay, then the last two minutes is, please, Lord, here's the stuff I need help with, or here's the people who I know need your help Okay, so it's eight minutes, two minutes. It's broken down into little sections for us. Next one is prayerful reading. Some of you know this by Lectio Divina, uh, but it's just a prayerful way of reading Scripture. So you take two minutes and you read a passage of God's Word. Take two minutes and just read it twice and pray like, Lord, what is this passage about? What are you saying to the church here or to everyone here? The next, then you take another two minutes. The next two minutes and you read, you know, Lord, what are you saying to me specifically? Is there something specifically here that you want me to hear? Then the last one is take two minutes and pray like, Lord, what are you telling me to do? What do you want me to do with this? Okay? That's like six minutes. And if you were feeling like two minutes, are you kidding me, Jason? Like, go ahead and do it longer. I'm just trying to give a place to start, all right? Because doing a little bit of this is better than none at all. Because sometimes people think, oh, I have to take like half an hour to pray. Well, yeah, it's great if you do. Trust me, it's been, I find that wonderful. But not everybody's wired that way, so I, I realize that. Okay, so this is prayerful reading. The next part, this seven days of scripture readings. And if you look there, this is all chapter 15. If you look there, it's not very hard. Day one, I really, like you dumped right into the deep end of the pool and you have two verses to read and reflect on. Then every day after that, it's just one verse. Okay. So it's totally doable. Just read one verse, take two minutes, and, and pray and read through it for a few times. Okay? So that's, that's the, the pray and the reading. That's 14 minutes of this practicing closer, this connection with Jesus. Then the last part is serve someone. And like we said, pray for them while you serve them, and pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in you while you do. So that's in the back of your bulletins. The next week, The whole church. So trust me, you're not going to be alone in this. If you guys want to, form groups, uh, call each other, say, hey, how's the devotion going? How are you doing abiding in Jesus? How are you doing dwelling in him? Encourage one another in this because the whole church is going to be doing it. This, like I said, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Our relationship with Jesus. It is the foundation of our faith. I want to say this because I want to correct anybody who thinks that following Jesus is really just about doing your hardest, working your hardest to keep a bunch of rules. You know, that's, I don't even know how to explain it. That's just like the beginning. The foundation is the relationship. God is calling us into a new relationship. Keep making our home in him because he's already in us. God desires more than just dutiful servants. He wants children in a relationship with him. And I'm telling you, I guarantee you, if you practice staying close to Jesus, it will change your life. And if you practice it, and in the off chance, like I'm willing to bet you on it, in the off chance you feel like, Jason, I did this for for a month and nothing's changed, you come back to me, I'll give you your money back. All right? (laughs) Come back and talk to me and we'll figure out what, what is wrong. Imagine what this begins to look like in your life. Those of you who have had this experience with Jesus, those of you who have experienced that relationship, imagine what it begins to look like as that experience or that relationship grows. The effect that has on your life. The effect that has on lives around you and in our community. Guys, this is the good stuff. This is the new life that we've been talking about. And I wish it just, like, happened, you know, and some people, they feel like it does, but for many of us, me included, we have to keep practicing. We have to to use the NIVs, we have to remain in Jesus. We have to keep making our home there, stay close to him. That's my desire for you. That's what I want for us as a church, that we would continue to realize how deeply God loves us and he wants us to be in a relationship with him. Amen.